2: I'm Candice Lim.
3: And I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture.
2: And remember when our scholar Rachel said that something was up. Something was in the air making everyone turn a hard left in life. Guess what she was? Right.
3: Listen, me and the astrologers, because Venus retrograde is coming for everyone. <laughs> How do I know this? Because Ariana Grande is now dating Spongebob?
2: Yes. So to be clear, Ariana Grande, the singer, is not dating the yellow sponge god. But but after announcing she had split from her husband, Dalton Gomez, TMZ reported... That Ariana is dating Ethan Slater, who was like her co star in the Wicked films. Apparently, they've been filming in England for like the first half of the year. Coincidentally, Ariana was allegedly hitting some relationship troubles with Dalton before she started filming. But it gets wilder, guys, because people were like, hold on a minute, isn't Ethan like married to his high school sweetheart? Didn't they just have a kid? The answer is yes to both. And there's been some like vague reporting that his wife was blindsided. Ariana was hanging out with the couple together at times. And it culminates with Ethan filing for divorce from his wife last week. But it gets like wilder because um, then his ex-wife, Lily J, she goes to page six exclusively and she tells them that ariana is quote not a girl's girl and that quote my family is just collateral damage end quote oh scorned oh scorned
3: i these quotes are like nuclear Mm -hmm. it really is just like she's going scorched earth Mm -hmm. um in the spirit of radical honesty i'm gonna admit something it's a little bit a little bit embarrassing it took me I'm not going to say how long, a long time, to figure out why people were calling Ariana's new man Spongebob. But then I found out that apparently, Ethan is most known for starring as Spongebob in the Spongebob musical on Broadway, which I don't acknowledge as part of the Spongebob canon. But apparently he was nominated for a Tony in this role, so he's like an actual theater kid meeting Ariana Grande, who is also an actual theater kid, so... I guess it's a match made in Oz.
2: Yeah, and, like, people have been bringing up these timelines of Ariana and her past relationships, how she keeps going after men who, like, suspiciously break up with their girlfriends right before dating her. And maybe she's overlapped a little bit between boyfriends here and there. But I am actually more focused on the fact that... That Ariana just keeps loving weird looking dudes. Like, I'm not, I am not trying to yuck her yum. I'm just saying, I guess when you're like that rich, that gorgeous, that talented, you just like want someone around who like makes you laugh like Pete Davidson or who like breaks into song randomly and then gets nominated for a Tony because of it like Ethan. So even though I'm like not optimistic Ariana will marry SpongeBob, I guess. We all need a rebound in this life, and so you might as well rebound with a sponge who lives in a pineapple?
3: I mean, listen, I famously support women's rights and women's wrongs. But I just feel like if you're going to rebound with a theater kid, rebound with one like Colin Farrell, you know? Rebound with an ill-advised but unimpeachably hot man who currently has a lot of free time because he's on strike. You know, but besides women's wrongs, you know what this makes me think of? Mm, mm,
2: mm, I mean, like how much you want to be Colin Farrell's sweat-soaked headband on the WGA SAG picket line? No.
3: Well, yes, (laughs) obviously. But no, no. Ariana dating non-canon Spongebob makes me think of another entry into the Spongebob non-canon. A little while ago, one of my best friends and former Slate producer, Danielle Hewitt, shout out Danielle, sent me a TikTok that almost made me throw my phone across the room. I'm not going to play it for all of you, and I hope you have a similar experience.
1: Are you gonna be? Say that you're gonna
2: be. Oh uh, my God, is that Patrick Starr from Spongebob? Singing Luther Vandross like the song A House is Not a Home?
3: You bet your ass it is, Candace. Oh, my, how, what, why? Listen, you're asking the right questions. In fact, they're the same ones I had. In fact, I'm pretty sure the first thing I said to Danielle was, this shouldn't exist. And because Danielle is an Aries queen, she took that as a challenge and kept sending me these AI-generated covers of the Spongebob cast singing everything from cookout classic Before I Let Go. To Sunshine Anderson's I Heard It All Before is you the my shoulder you to Nicki Minaj's iconic verse from monster so
1: my body that i it it find it sign it
3: so one of my personal favorites, Plankton singing all-time lows. Dear Maria, count me in.
0: I got your picture. I'm coming with you, dear Maria. Count me in. There's a story at the bottom of this bottle, and I'm the pen.
3: And I could keep going. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. please don't. Please don't. <laughs> Entire accounts sprang up devoted to just these AI covers, including my new favorite account, which is called Quiet Storm Patrick, and just features Patrick singing way outside his vocal range on songs from Silly by Denise Williams to Love by Keisha Cole. As you can probably tell, at some point in my journey, I went from telling Danielle to stop sending me these covers before I blocked her on TikTok, to, uh, in fact, searching them out on my own. (laughs) That is so funny. I mean, what (laughs) changed? They're just so fucking funny to me. Like, on one level, it's not outside the realm of possibility for Spongebob or Patrick to, you know, turn into songstresses. They're actually, like, real canonical Spongebob bops. But this is also one of those things that it would be impossible to fully be able to imagine without hearing it. Like, without actually hearing Patrick's voice crack on a house is not a home, I, I would not have been able to conjure that in my imagination. And at one point, I started trading these covers back and forth with my older brother, who said, I'm okay with AI destroying the world, because it gave us Patrick singing oldies, which made me laugh. But then it made me put on my little thinking hat. Because this is one of the first applications of AI that I have genuinely enjoyed. I have yet to use ChatGPT or MidJourney because, quite frankly, I find it unsettling. But I can't help bopping along to Spongebob singing Whitney's I Have Nothing. But I still found myself wondering, where did these covers come from? And how do they fit into the larger conversation around AI-generated music? Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you've got my attention. I want to hear more about these spongebobs. And these are great <laughs> questions, Rachel. So we're going to answer them after a short break. Hey there. If you love our podcast, then maybe you should consider subscribing to Slate Plus. With Slate Plus, there are no ads on any Slate podcasts. And Slate Plus helps keep this podcast going because this show would not be possible without your support. With Slate Plus, you'll get bonus segments and episodes for shows like Slow Burn, Culture Gap Fest, and Slate Money. You'll also never hit a paywall on the Slate website, meaning you get access to every article and every advice column. Just visit Slate.com slash Plus to sign up. That's Slate.com slash Plus.
0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
3: And we're back with artificial intelligence and SpongeBob, a combination I couldn't have conjured in my wildest dreams before last month. And before the
2: break, you asked two questions. One, where do those covers you played come from? And two, how do they fit into, like, the larger conversation around AI-generated music?
3: Right. And to answer those questions, we've got to go back, back in time, basically to the beginning of computing. The history of computer generated music stretches all the way back to Alan Turing. I, I bet y'all out there did not expect us to mention Turing and SpongeBob in the same episode, but you know what? We keep breaking those glass ceilings. Mm. And that's on Girl Boss. Mm-hmm. Here's a BBC recording of one of the first instances of computer generated music. It is from 1951 and it's being played by Turing's Mark II machine, which was so large that it basically took up an entire ground floor of a building.
2: obviously a very long way from spongebob uh, saying pull up in the monster automobile gangsta but by 1997 computers were writing competent enough musical clones that when researchers had one write music in the style of Johann sebastian bach the resulting piece fooled audiences into thinking it was a real undiscovered composition of his
3: both that bach dupe And the covers we've heard earlier are basically made in the same way. I'm going to give a very simple explanation because I barely passed every single computer science class I ever took. But basically, a program is trained on a data set, a huge data set. In the cases we mentioned, that data set would be all of Bach's body of work or SpongeBob's entire vocal range as represented in the TV show. The program then synthesizes all of this data, and from there, it is able to put out a reasonably faithful replica of the data that it's been trained on, though clearly you can hear, you know, some strain in some of these covers.
2: Yeah, and these programs have only gotten more and more sophisticated, which also makes them cheaper and easier to produce, which then means that you don't have to be Alan Turing to, like, gain access to them, you know? In 2020, OpenAI released a music generation model. It's called Jukebox, which can produce entirely synthetic music clips in the style of different artists or genres. But from the beginning, artists have fairly been concerned about what this means for them.
3: Mm-hmm, because not only are these programs being trained on their copyrighted works, but these algorithms are being trained on their copyrighted works so that works can be made using a likeness of their voice largely without their consent. In the same year that OpenAI released Jukebox, Jay-Z filed copyright strikes against YouTube, uploaded deepfakes, which are basically AI-generated works using someone else's voice and her image. And as time has gone on, these programs have only gotten more and more accessible. The covers that y'all heard earlier are made using Voiceify.ai, which truly anyone can access for about $9 a month.
2: But not all artists are opposed to the use of AI in music. In fact, a lot of them are using it to experiment with the limits of what we consider music, kind of like the way that T-Pain really pushed the boundaries of what we thought was possible with autotune. Grimes is an early example. You know, she's gone so far as to release software that allows users to mimic her voice, and she's offering 50-50 royalties for commercial use. There's this British indie band, Breezer. They basically replaced their lead singer with an AI version of Oasis's lead singer, Liam Gallagher. They made an album called Aisis, and they released this note with the album that read, quote, Aisis is an alternate reality concept album where the band's 95 to 97 lineup continued to write music or perhaps all got together years later to write a record akin to the first three albums. And only now has the master DAT tape from that session surfaced. We're bored of waiting for Oasis to reform. So we've got an AI modeled Liam Gallagher, to step in and help out on some tunes that were written during lockdown 2021 for a short-lived but
3: much-loved band called Breezer. And the thing is, Liam Gallagher was entirely approving of this. He said he'd only heard one song, but that it was, quote, better than all the other snizzle out there. I've never heard the word snizzle before, and now I will never think about anything else. Liam went on to say that the album was, quote, mad as fuck. I sound mega. (laughs) There's this other project from a mental health charity called Over the Bridge, and this project was called The Lost Tapes of the 27 Club. Basically, they released tracks made by Google's AI program, Magenta, quote, recorded by a collective of musicians who died at the age of 27. So Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix. But the lyrics and the music for this entire project are all entirely AI generated. Mm
2: -hmm. By the way, I kind of listened to the Amy Winehouse track. It didn't really sound like her to me. But, you know, the lost tapes of the 27 Club and AISIS are both kind of really fascinating because they are using AI to basically imagine what could have been,
3: right? I think that's the use of AI that most intrigues me is the idea of almost employing it as part of a grieving process in a way to imagine things that couldn't happen because of the way things shook out. This conversation also reminds me of the one we had about fan fiction a little while back in that I think... AI and fanfic in their best possible use case are about imagining possibilities that don't necessarily exist in the canon or in reality. But what's interesting is that at no point was fanfiction ever really considered a means of replacing original authors. It was honestly never even really considered for like the Orange Prize or the Pulitzer because it's very clearly infringing on someone's copyright. There's a really hard line between fan fiction and original fiction. But that line doesn't exist with AI-generated music, right? Or AI-generated anything. And I think that is largely because of sexism. Basically because AI is tech, a male-dominated field, but it's synthesizing information rather than imagining something. And so the output is somehow considered more worthy of Sears consideration, though the issues with it are pretty much the same.
2: Hmm, that's really interesting and I think that's true. And we're gonna get into some of those issues after a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about the people who are affected and underemployed by the growing popularity of AI in the music industry and why the law won't
1: save us this time. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
3: In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of
0: a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this
3: sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to.
2: So before the break, we were talking about how artificially generated music has basically been around since the computers. And it's kind of also important to note that when you see like an A.I. cover of Lord singing August by Taylor Swift or Drake and the Weeknd doing a fake duet together, you know, these big names aren't really the biggest victims of the A.I. fight because they have lawyers like Drake and the Weeknd. They can litigate. They can take down "Hard on My Sleeve. Taylor Swift is, like, too busy doing her little tour and flying the private jet around the world to go after these AI covers that, frankly, sometimes sound kind of good.
3: I mean, I started off this episode being obsessed with Patrick Starr singing Luther Vandross, so clearly I don't hate an AI cover. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you're right. AI is threatening the jobs of the people behind the scenes. The producers, the studio musicians, the people who compose music for Selling Sunset with lyrics like... I met the Vatican drinking with the Pope. I'm out in Paris getting French toast. Only a real person could write that. <laughs> it is funny to watch Selling Sunset and hear these kind of random ass girl boss lyrics that sound like they were made by a computer who had never met a human, but they were created by a real person. Googling where to get French toast and then hopping in the booth to lay down that track. So when season seven, eight, 900 of Selling Sunset comes out, there's a world where in which those lyrics, those songs could be plugged into an AI machine and featured in the show because it'll cost Netflix next to nothing to create it.
2: Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think this kind of affects our corner of the industry, too, you know, because all of these podcasts you guys listen to with the little marimbas under like the deep introspective moments or the intro music to like this podcast, for example, you know, these were beats and melodies and guitars and synths produced by a musician and the music is licensed. There are regulations like you can only use this intro for this show and only for editorial or journalistic purposes. But with AI generated music, it costs nothing to make. It costs near nothing to make and it costs nothing to own it. So like who is going to sue you when you misuse it or overuse it.
3: And I think a really apt comparison would be AI-generated art. If you haven't seen this before, it's created in models like Midjourney or Dolly, and sometimes they're so good at making it, it seems like someone really put some brushstrokes into it. One of my favorite uses of this is people using... AI art models to imagine black people in like impressionist paintings basically kind of what I was talking about before the break where it, it allows you to consider yourself in spaces that didn't consider you before but a lot of the time you can zoom in and see pixels you can zoom in and see that the hands have seven fingers and it's really fucking weird or sometimes something seems a little bit too smooth and manufactured in the art world, the person being affected and losing a shit ton of money from this is not artists like Andy Warhol. It's book cover artists who spend hours and days and months in pro creator illustrator tweaking the curve of a bee or making the spine one shade darker, taking edits from people who are paid to give those edits. So that person, that artist could easily be replaced by someone who works for a big four publisher who is ordered to use an AI app and tell that app I want a book cover for a dark romance about vampires and werewolves with a muscly male lead and a woman in a red dress and boom no money was exchanged besides the subscription service you use for whatever AI app you're using there was no labor to itemize or invoice for And it's done. I can't say it's good, but it's it's definitely done. And it's cheaper than hiring an artist. So back to the music industry. Smaller producers are getting hurt and losing jobs because record companies and production companies would rather spend little to no money on an AI-created soundtrack instead of an actual musician who has to use their talent and labor to make a track and invoices accordingly. And for some reason... Musical institutions are deciding to validate AI. So in June of this year, the Recording Academy actually updated their rules for the 2024 Grammy Awards to say that music created with the help of AI tools will be eligible for a Grammy Award.
2: Mm -hmm. The song cannot be created mostly or entirely by AI, but AI can play a part in the process. The CEO of the Recording Academy, Harvey Mason Jr., He said it wouldn't be fair to discredit every piece of creative work that was submitted if it had been touched by AI.
3: Which is kind of odd because he's basically defending the use of AI, which is on some level killing his industry for most people. And then he says we are in the business of celebrating human excellence and human creativity. But. A lot of applications of AI kind of directly go against human excellence and human creativity and even suggest that AI can replace human excellence and human creativity.
2: Mm -hmm, Yeah. And I kind of wanted to bring up this wild quote by a musician who makes AI-generated music. Specifically, there was this popular AI song he made of Frank Sinatra singing Toxic by Britney Spears. (sighs) Mm Mm-hmm. His name is CJ Carr, and he spoke to Futurism saying, quote, I think push-button art, when a culture can achieve this, it's a transcendent moment for that culture. It means the communication of that culture has achieved its capacity, end quote. This quote struck me as so odd because it sounds like he's saying that culture has reached its max. Like, there's no new art, new music, new paintings to create. We're good. So you might as well just pay zero dollars for it via AI, via regurgitation, and, like, I just find that such a weird reductive and cynical perspective to have, especially when you're like a quote unquote artist or musician.
3: Also because it completely ignores the fact that the very thing that allows AI to exist is original art. AI isn't actually a computer coming up with anything. It's basically averaging out a bunch of people's different art. The AI wouldn't exist without the art. And it's tough because going back to the Grammys, they really don't have the clearest guidelines of like how many words can be sung by AI, what percentage of the song can be produced by AI, does a filter or a voice that was not recorded in a studio or, you know, originated from a single chain smoker, is that AI? But one of the reasons people are annoyed by this is because first, how strictly can you actually regulate this? Like, how do you prove AI has only touched a certain percentage of a song? Second, this goes against literally everything that the writer strike and the SAG-AFTRA strike are about.
2: Yeah, like... We're sitting here talking yet again about the precarious ways AI has become the battlefront for creative litigation. You know, we're talking about SAG-AFTRA going on strike because, you know, one day Marvel could decide to not hire extras to shoot a battle scene. And instead, they ask actors, so not even like famous actors, just day players, to like step into a trailer, take a million photos of their likeness so they can use that in the film instead of paying them to be on set for four days. And then we're talking about the WGA strike where writers do... Do not want to be hired to punch up or fix the typos of like an AI written script that could have been written by real writers and real people who want to be employed, but instead were deemed not worthy of their talent.
3: And the reason why we keep talking about AI is because AI wasn't created to fix a problem. There wasn't really any problem. Scripts weren't bad. Music wasn't bad the issue was it wasn't cheap. We had humans who were paid and motivated and fulfilled by writing and creating those pieces of art. AI is not fixing a problem. It basically digitized the labor and created a tool with the intent of making art cheaper and devaluing human labor in exchange for technology without rights. And that's is why people get so pressed about AI. It's this idea that open AI and investors, CEOs, whoever want to make money off of this, they think they are revolutionizing industries, but on so many levels, they're destroying them. And
2: if you think that like the White House or some lawyers or Congress are going to solve this and put in regulations to make sure AI keeps creatives employed... I would highly advise you to wake up because, like, look at what they did with the banks. You know, in October of last year, the Biden administration put out its blueprint for an AI bill of rights. So this is like a draft of a draft. But basically, it claims that this is a starting place for the government to juristic, you know, quote, the great challenges posed to democracy today, which includes, quote, the use of technology, data and automated systems in ways that threaten the rights of the American public.
3: And there are a lot of advocacy groups and lobbyists and nonprofits and unions, especially from creative industries like the music industry that are really trying to get in front of this technology, get in front of Congress and lawmakers and make sure that AI is not allowed to replace human composers and creators to help a bottom line. This is stuff like establishing principles around copyright infringement, Paying people for their work that's included in these data sets that AI is being trained on, ethical AI use, transparency regarding that AI use.
2: Mm -hmm. But, you know, when the White House talks about a bill or the Grammys talks about allowing AI-affected work into the nominations, it's like... We've already lost. We've already lost because the courts and the White House and the Recording Academy, they're just like so behind this trend, this epidemic. Like, I just think they're too late. You know, this has been a problem and you're just now talking about it. How can you prove that previous songs that have won Grammys didn't use AI? I'm just saying that I feel like this Trend will kind of surpass them. You know, this trend will win Grammys without voters realizing it. And now we're just kind of running behind a train that has no intention to stop. So I guess like the real question is can we even enjoy Squidward's cover of Temperature by Sean Paul? Or should we consumers and listeners start consuming ethically, sort of like the way that we try to buy clothes or food or makeup ethically?
3: I mean, I think it's less black and white than not consuming entirely or boycotting Quiet Storm Patrick, which I quite frankly will never do. Not least because Quiet Storm Patrick and these AI covers are clearly just for fun. Mm-hmm. No one is making money off of them. I mean, I guess voiceify.ai is making money off of them. But largely, no one is using these covers to try to replace, you know, Tom Kinney, who voices SpongeBob. No one thinks that Tom Kinney is actually rapping Nicki Minaj's monster verse. Though, maybe he could. I'd like to see it. I think the real danger comes in when we stop paying attention to the kind of small people who are going to get pushed out. Most of us don't know stock music artists. Most of us don't know the people who are writing jingles. I don't know the name of the person who composed our theme song for this show, which was in a royalty-free library that we use. But they deserve to make money. And I fully believe that. And they deserve not to be replaced by AI. And I think
2: a lot of this, too, is about the fear of us getting to that point of, like, Tom Kenny himself may not do the monster verse, but I think maybe there is this fear among actors, amongst voice actors, that, like, one day that future could happen. They don't know about it. But also, I think it also has to do with, like, internet literacy. You know, I fully, fully could see someone watching one of these Very funny, wonderful Squidward covers and just being like, oh, my God, I can't believe Squidward cleared that temperature verse. Like, (laughs) like you just kind of never know what type of person is interacting with that content. But when it comes back to the music industry, I kind of feel like what it will take is one really, 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 really big artist. So this is your Beyonce's, Taylor Swift's, Adele's, whatever, to like go to court and fight and just kind of be like, you know I don't know. There's some random kid in fucking Galway who keeps using my songs and like making me sing random covers. And I want it to stop. And if that kind of gets to the court and sets a precedent, then I think we start getting people who are like, oh, maybe I shouldn't like do this anymore. Maybe this isn't fun. Maybe AI kind of starts slowing down because at this moment, once again, it's not the big artists who are suffering, let's say, from the perils of AI. I mean, in a very dystopian world, Rachel, we could be replaced by AI too.
3: All right, that is the show. We will be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss my latest TikTok obsession. <laughs> please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify, and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at icyymiodescorepod, which is also where you can email us your questions like Ariana is dating Tom Kenny? And you can also always drop us a note at icyymiatsleep.com.
2: ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and me, Candace Lim. Deja Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. See you online or in
3: Bikini Bottom. For the ones who work hard to
0: ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need.